my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I am your host, Eric, and I am joined today by Brian Sparkman, an American documentarian, writer, model, actor, and voice actor. Brian is a Chicago, Illinois native who has always had a passion for storytelling, a desire that brought him to Los Angeles in 2011. With the goal of creating content that nourishes the landscape of television and film, Brian founded Drakenstein or Drakenstein Productions in 2012. It's a production company whose mission is to quote, entertain, enlighten, and empower audiences through scripted content, podcasts, motivational videos, short films, and documentaries. The company's first project is a documentary titled Out of Darkness, which profiles the East of St. Louis Illinois race riots of 1917. Additionally, Brian is the creator and host of the podcast and YouTube channel, Our Voices, Our Journey, and Journey is spelled J-R-U-R-N-E-E, and it creates spaces for the Black LGBTQ plus community and others to shift our world through the sharing of our respective journeys. I very much look forward to talking with Brian today and hearing his own journeys of self-discovery and success as a Black gay professional. Hey, Brian, and welcome. Wow, that was a mouthful. I'm like, wow, <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> I really am looking forward to this, and I genuinely mean that. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day out today. Uh, no complaints at all. Feeling good. Feeling good. My first question to you, I'm kind of getting right into it. Based on my own activities this morning, I'd like to ask you, if you could pick a song that captures what's motivating you today, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> great question. I do love music. I love the way it makes me feel. I'm not an aficionado on music, <laughs> to be quite honest. So what song would I say? Um... <laughs> Nothing comes to mind. I'm drawing a blank for some reason. Oh, what a feeling! Maybe I don't know. What a okay. feeling! <laughs> I'll go with that. Okay, okay. Well, I asked because I mean I don't usually listen to music in the morning, but I put my headphones on and I have a couple playlists. Well, the first song that I felt was from Lenny Kravitz, a song called "Live." It got me moving a little bit and put a pep in my step. What about the song moved you? The lyrics, the sound? I like the lyrics. It's a song kind of connected to, you know, our initial conversation yesterday. It's just about, you know, living your best life, or that's how I take it. We only have one life to live. So every day I wake up, make sure my goal is to live the best life I can live today. So, yeah, I've listed all of your hats that you wear. How's your week been? Busy. I think the one part that I'd never really... I guess thought about was, you know, you have these aspirations and goals and kind of things in mind and how you want to show up in the world. And what I forget at times is that it requires time and it requires investment. It requires, you know, significant energy. So, and there's always kind of something going on, which isn't a bad thing. Some days it's like, okay, well, maybe I could, you know, sit down for a moment and just chill, but you know, it's always something to be done. 
would you say you're someone that's really good with time management? In the past, I haven't been. One of the things like last year, I said I wanted to be much better about managing time. So making lists, putting things on my calendar. So I've been much better now than in the past. Sounds like learning the art of striking a balance. Absolutely. You know, you got to have balance. Well, in doing my preliminary research on you, I discovered that you're a biology major. How did you transition from having that major to doing what you're doing today? Oh, that's a great question. As you mentioned at the start of the interview, I am from Chicago, Southside, born and raised. So growing up in Chicago, I had an interest in the arts when I was very young. A television show that I used to watch that you know I wanted to, to be on. I wanted to be an actor. And it was called You Can't Do That on Television. It was a Nickelodeon show, kind of like a youth skewing SNL, uh, SCTV kind of thing. And I was really just like, wow, entertainment wasn't really an industry that was prominent in Chicago. Like we had, I think, Oprah and like Jerry Springer, you know, and I think Rolanda or something like that, maybe. There weren't really, I guess, sort of outlets or viable outlets or opportunities. And so I always loved, you know, math and science. I wanted to study internal medicine and oncology research was something I was really passionate about. But really the truth of the matter is in college, you know, I came out and that experience was incredibly overwhelming to me. And it really kind of derailed those plans and was prepping for my MCAT. And, you know, upon coming out and just all the feelings and, and things I had to manage for me was just overwhelming. Kind of moved away from that space and, you know, found myself in the creative again. So, yeah. And then when you mentioned derailing as far as pursuing it professionally, or it was just what was going on overall in your life at the time? There were like a lot of things. There were feelings, thoughts that I just hadn't made peace with, come to terms with for myself. And as I was navigating that process, you know, dating and living and figuring it all out, I think that there was definitely a moment where education wasn't prioritized for me because I was wanting to sort of experience these things that had always kind of been um, in the distance, these emotions, these feelings, these thoughts that I had. And so the education, you know, school wasn't like prioritized. What's your college alma mater? So I started out at Eastern Illinois University, EIU, downstate Illinois, and then finished at the University of Missouri in St. Louis. We initially connected yesterday, and that was a conversation I could have, you know, stayed on the phone forever. What I got from that is just a lot of positivity, a lot of wisdom. But what I wanted to ask you is, have you always been passionate as a person within your own life and also just finding ways to celebrate and uplift others around you? That's a really great question. People who know me, I think, have said or shared with me that, wow, you have really good energy and optimistic and encouraging. I want to say yes. My earliest memories, I think, of like wanting to help people or reach out to people, you know, again, from Chicago, I would go to the store, the store, you know, in our neighborhood called Hopkins. And I remember as a kid, I would walk to the store, my parents would let me walk to the store and I would see, you know, homeless people and give them money. And I was like probably seven or eight years old. I guess there were things that my parents instilled in me in terms of life and being fortunate, people who are less fortunate. And so that's something that's always just kind of been just kind of within me. And as I matured, some people are treated differently than others, or people seem to have more benefits or opportunities. I think that, you know, you start to kind of see the world in ways in that lens. And so being who I was, what kinds of things can I do? I wanted to just do things that 
I felt like would make someone feel better, be encouraged or not be sad. And I think that kind of evolved into wanting to be, you know, um, activist or mentor. Yeah, just those kind of social rights and justices and causes and things. So yeah, I think that was probably kind of there, but then morphed into maybe activism and, you know, speaking up for others, that kind of thing. It's a great gift to have and to foster and home. Forgot to mention that you're my second guest from Chicago. Um, I bring that up because we were speaking yesterday. I was like, you know, me being from Arizona and then being gone out of the U.S. for two years, I don't think I was as aware as I am now of the uniqueness of where we come from in the states, the cities. And so when you were saying you were for Chicago, I was like, you know, I could pick up on that. <laughs> I've never really been there, but it's like <laughs> there's something about people from Chicago. They just got this passion. There are certain things, certain elements that, you know, I guess people adopt or function, operate a certain way based on our environment. You mentioned that you're from the south side of Chicago. What was it like for you growing up? Who were you growing up? Oh, great questions. <laughs> My novel <laughs> interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, growing up, I have a, so many fond memories of Chicago, what it was like. There was a lot of fun moments. I grew up going to... Chicago Bulls games with my dad and I have an older brother. So seeing Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, the Bulls at the time was like magical. You know, you don't forget. And then I remember, you know, summer times and the lakefront and so many great memories, the food, the people, and yeah, just a lot of fond memories. And then who, who was I growing up? I was a kid who always loved school. I was low-key nerd. I think I loved learning and I think also being acknowledged for those things I think felt good and so I think as a kid who also kind of knew he was different that I think those moments of like recognition for the good things was maybe validating or affirming in some ways yeah I like to ride my bike play basketball yeah it's kind of normal stuff yeah I never thought about that because I also I love school but I never thought what you just said that was a way of feeling validated my way of belonging receive validation at home from my parents or even extended family. But, you know, as a young person, I, I knew, you know, there was something different. I knew I, you know, had an attraction you know, for guys as a kid. And so I think, you know, as you kind of pick up on the social cues and certain things, I think in some ways having things that, again, maybe offer validation or feel good or there's comfort in that, you know, maybe you gravitate towards. And again, I'm not a psychologist, but just looking back, I think maybe that was a part of it, you know, so. You mentioned earlier that you had aspirations in the arts, but did you have any other aspirations as a child? I've always at heart been an entrepreneur. So as a kid, even before I really had this blueprint, I've never shared this story aloud before, but I used to watch a cartoon. There were these two characters who were twins. The characters the cartoon worked for was called Extensive Enterprises. And something about that to me was always so damn appealing you know, we had family members who had businesses and that kind of thing. So maybe in some way, like, because it was a cartoon, maybe I felt like I related to it or connected to it in some way. But yeah, I think having my own business in some capacity was something I was always really passionate about. So even like going to cut grass in the summertime, going to shovel snow, the entrepreneurial kind of spirit, having a business in St. Louis and moving here and you know, having two businesses in St. Louis, actually. You know, you talk about being from the South side of Chicago, What's South Side of Chicago in relation to, say, the North Side or the West Side or the East Side? There are similarities amongst, I think, all parts of Chicago, but I think it probably comes from more of a pride. Like, oh, I'm from this area. There are good parts on the South Side. There are bad parts on the South Side. 
but I think it's just more so a local nod. But I don't think it's really anything like there are these real clear delineations. Oh, that person's definitely from the West Side. That person's definitely from this side. I think it's just more so a thing that we just grow up in. It's like, oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Pride is a good word because I definitely feel that when people say that I'm from the South Side of Chicago, especially me coming from Phoenix, Arizona, where in my estimate, it's not as colorful as Chicago or New York or even LA on some levels. So when I would hear people oh, from the South Side of Chicago, it's like, ooh, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> You touched on being aware as a young person, being different or having same-sex attractions. How old were you when you started to become aware of that? I don't have an exact age, but I think I was around five. And I remember two things. I remember there was like a little store around the corner from where we grew up. I think it was like sort of a comedian store, but maybe a record store, maybe a hybrid or something of some sort. But I remember there being a Prince poster at the back of the store the language I have is that I just liked looking at it, right? There was no you know, physical reaction to seeing it, but he was naked, but not exposed. I just liked looking at it. And then there was a boy in my class who I remember just kind of, I liked him. And I, I just knew it was just different than my friends, but it was like, oh, you know, something there. So that's probably my earliest memories. I'm around five. So the Prince poster, for sure. <laughs> and then uh, the one boy in my class. Were you aware that that was something you could or could not share with those around you? There was nothing that said, oh, this is overtly wrong like in my household. So it wasn't like I heard a lot of profane language. That wasn't kind of the thing. I think you have certain social cues or things that like, oh, that probably isn't a good thing. And I had a relative who was a cousin of my mom who was gay met him maybe twice in my life. And again, nothing ever was bad that was said about him, but there was this kind of subtext that I maybe picked up on. Mm, okay. I didn't like share this with like my family or my brother or my parents. No, I can relate to that. Um, you sparked a memory when I was in second grade, these girls who were the cute girls in school. I remember overhearing them talking about this boy, Byron, like, oh, he's so cute. And he was a new kid in class. And I remember thinking, oh, he is cute. And then thinking, oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but where did that come from that I got nervous all of a sudden that I may have said that out loud, you know? Absolutely. There are things going on right now where people who haven't had our experiences are being able to legislate what that looks like or sounds like. And I think how insane how asinine is this bringing up politicians are those that legislate either socially or legally my question always is when somebody says oh you chose this or this is not natural it's like what are you basing this on your own experience how do you know this absolutely i think it's just the craziest ass thing my initial perception of you is that some or many may not assume or automatically default to you being gay. And you talked about like, you know, being athletic and playing sports. When you were becoming aware of that part of yourself, was that something that may have caused confusion or challenge? I wasn't athletic at all, but when we don't fit what some say is expected of specifically a gay man, did you have those types of conversations with yourself? That's an amazing question. Yes, there were many times, two things that came to mind. The first was when I was in college, 
I was going to commit suicide. Friends and loved ones and stuff know about this. This is not like, you know, secretive in that way. But it was, it was one night in college, kind of the culmination of, of some things that happened behind the scenes unbeknownst to me. My friends who were straight kind of found out or heard gossip um, about some things, which, which was true. And in that night, my brain just kind of went off to the space of just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What if, what if this, what if this, what if this? So I kind of spiraled out of control. And I just thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't face people. And thankfully, you know, through the good graces, I say, you know, my first partner, God sinned, called me at the time that he called me. So yeah, it was definitely one night where it almost kind of violently came at me having to, you know, reconcile a lot of things that were within. I was on the cusp of actually sharing with all my friends at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other time was... I kind of remember dating my first partner and his sister just kind of in the kitchen talking. I was, I think, 20 at the time. And she said something to the effect of, wow, I think it's really amazing, you being you and like being gay and this relationship with my brother. And emotionally, I just kind of spiraled out of control because I think at that point, it had been just kind of messing around or, you know, hanging out, mm. having these experiences, but, you know, to wear that label, at that time, I didn't associate with being gay. The things I saw in the media that spoke to gay, you know, and again, not knocking anybody or being shady at all, but like that didn't represent who I was, right? So I didn't see someone who was on the chess team or somebody who ran track, somebody who wrestled, somebody who was pretty chill about certain things. And so I just didn't see that imagery in the media. And so I think for her to say that, like we ended up parting ways for a bit because I wasn't ready to handle, I guess, and I hadn't thought about it. I wasn't ready to handle the label of what that really meant. You know, thank you, first of all, for being open about that. What I felt when you talked about these people that found out this part of you, for me, really calls to light that this is a form of emotional violence that we receive from people, a lot of times probably unintentionally, and what that can, as you mentioned, spiral into. I was talking to a friend of mine, shout out to my homegirl, Tam, who's a doctor of education. And I learned in just kind of having a conversation with her in addition to therapy was that all of those things were all self-induced. You know, hindsight 2020, I just, at the time, they were so very real to me. You know, what could happen if my family and my friends and all these things and all these doomsday scenarios that were very real. You know, getting to the other side of that, I know for me, not in certain things, but some things having a sense of humor, like, you know, I remember one person I was ready to tell, I had my head down, you know, just like, oh, like this. And then I looked up and she's like, I knew years ago. Part of me was disappointed. <laughs> like I had a script in my head. <laughs> I'm not laughing at them, but just in terms of the humor behind, like you anticipating like, oh, what's going to happen, Lord? And it's just like, it's all good. Like, let's get some coffee. Let's go on a hike. Let's go chill, you know? It doesn't take away from the seriousness of it. It is the reality that these things can happen, even today. Very true. Again, thank you for being open about that. You mentioned discovering or rediscovering your creative side in college. Is that when you began acting and or modeling? Yeah, I did. Like literally happenstance. They were shooting a film in Chicago. A friend of mine at the time, who was an ex actually, um, she told me about it and we went and they actually selected me for the film. So I was an extra in the film you know, the director who was there and like the production company. And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, kind of amazing. And so that kind of reignited that interest. And then shortly after, 
my brother called me and said he knew somebody who they were going to shoot a film with, I think, Morgan Freeman and Keanu Reeves that was shooting in Chicago. And they were looking for a speaking part or something. So I was rushing home and it didn't happen. But I think having done the film, uh, which is it's called Light It Up, uh, with like Usher and Rosario Dawson and Sarah Gilbert and Vanessa Williams and Forrest Whitaker and blah, blah, blah. A lot of big names. Is Chicago known as an industry town as far as entertainment? Um, it wasn't at the time. You know, now I think there are a lot of productions that were happening in Chicago. So I think the whole Chicago franchise, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago Hope, Chicago Med, I think all these shows were filmed in Chicago. A lot of films, uh, the Batman with Christian Bale, part of those were filmed in Chicago, some of the exteriors, the streets downtown. You know, I think Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston, the breakup. So I think as time kind of went on, it became much more of a hub for entertainment. But growing up there, like the Blues Brothers, right? Home Alone. But, you know, again, so there are films that were there, but in terms of being a hub, nah, I mean, not to my knowledge. I wasn't aware of Chicago being a hub for entertainment growing up. But now, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, happening there, so. All right. Other than the obvious, what prompted your move to Los Angeles? You know, I had a couple of businesses in St. Louis. I had a a commercial and residential uh, landscaping and ground maintenance company. And then me and a a best friend, uh, shout out to AJ, we got into real estate right when this major event, the Great Recession, uh, was about to take place and saw the timing. Yeah. So after that, you know, I had to kind of figure things out. And then sort of the creative opportunity came about. And so I was in St. Louis and I thought about, you know, going back to school possibly. And I wasn't really passionate about that. And I really just didn't know kind of what direction to go in. Yeah. And then, you know, life happens. And I hadn't been to the West Coast before. I came out here in March of 2011 just to kind of put my feet on the ground because I was like really more interested about creative and what that looked like. And, you know, there was some small steps that were kind of being made. And I thought, wow. So I came out here and had the fortune of meeting with this exec at a major network and came back out about six weeks later to attempt to pitch something. And on the flight back, I just thought, I think I've reached my end with St. Louis, you know, all in love. I think I had made some decisions that I felt like put me in a box in a way because of the same thing. What does society say you are? And I think I didn't have the courage to kind of stand in that truth openly, right? I think with that own kind of self-induced pressure and having to sort of live like this in certain ways, and I'm like, I'm kind of tired of that. I'm kind of done with that, which is kind of ironic because when I moved to St. Louis, it was because I wanted to explore my sexuality and explore my identity, then to leave 10 years later and then move my way to LA, you know, kind of, I guess, full circle in a way. How was it coming from the Midwest, coming out to the land of, what somebody used to say to me when I moved here, fruits and nuts? <laughs> it's a whole lot of that no but um, (laughs) nothing but truth no it was amazing it was one of the best decisions I could have made I have an amazing tribe amazing amazing you know friendships that have been forged here yeah and I think also one of the things that I had hoped for years ago first kind of coming out at a very young age I thought I don't want my life to just consist of going out to a nightclub every weekend this is how, you know, I affirm who I am at a club. And again, nothing wrong with clubs, kicking it, you know, going out, drinking with your people, hanging out, listening to great music and all that. But I thought, man, it's kind of limited. And I don't want to have to slink out in the darkness at nighttime to kind of live with who I am. And so those are things that I kind of carry with me as I got older. And so, uh, yeah, when I moved here, I made the decision kind of in a split second 
to be honest about who I was with everybody, you know, just because again, I thought it should be a non-issue. Like how I am right now is the same how I am with my friends, with my boyfriend, with, you know, whatever. So it's like, I'm the same person with my family. It's all the same, you know? So yeah. And I just thought that was really kind of healing and to just kind of be here and like, yo, it is what it is. Can we move on from it? It's not a thing. So yeah, but one of the best decisions. I definitely heard you packed up your entrepreneurial spirit and took it to St. Louis. Seems like you brought it to Los Angeles too. Can you share with us about Drakenstein or Drakenstein? <laughs> yeah, Drakenstein Productions. Drakenstein Productions. Can you tell us about that? You know, we had an amazing conversation with you yesterday I'm off camera. But with that, growing up, you know, as I say in the podcast, my podcast, um, Our Voices, Our Journey, more than just letters. You know, growing up, a lot of times I did feel othered and I felt like there were no other me's out there. I didn't see it represented. I didn't see kind of people around me. So, you know, I think growing up kind of feeling in some ways isolated or othered, the imagination, the mind becomes, you know, I guess a safe space and, you know, a place to kind of think freely and without judgment and those kinds of things. So I think with that, I'm very, very grateful that I haven't had major traumas or, you know, a couple of situations in my life that were traumatic, but overall, what I realized is that there were people who looked like me who did and who were having horrific experiences, people who I was close to who were suffering from physical abuse, people who had been kicked out, people whose families weren't supportive. So you're hearing a lot of these things, people who I was close to. What I'm constantly kind of asking myself is, how can I be someone who helps to add some goodness to the bad, you know, some light to the dark, some balance? I'm not afraid of no most of the time, you know, so I thought, how can I add my voice to this landscape? And I think it just sort of morphed into this idea of creativity. And I have to say, one of the things that really brought me out here, I had a really close friend, someone was very, very close to me, who had died of AIDS. This was 2007. And I remember just being overwhelmed with an array of emotion. And in the midst of me processing all of the feelings and, you know, just the, the shock of it, the thing that I carry with me was that the people who were closest or I understood to be closest to him, none of us knew. As I was kind of healing, I remember one day I was at home, I was about to brush my teeth and I thought, I want his life or him transitioning to mean more than that. And I thought, wow, media, media says something. I believe it was divine intervention. And that was kind of the impetus behind the creative side and wanted to tell stories. And I think also then led me to want to create my own production company where I could use my voice and lend my voice to certain causes and or highlight certain stories, just kind of be an advocate for people who don't necessarily have that. You know, I can just kind of lend my voice the same way, you know, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast is lending his voice to help maybe empower and help uplift and help educate and help, you know, raise awareness and heighten awareness around certain things. So those moments were the things that kind of led me out here to create Drakenstein for the culture. Sorry to be so long-winded. <laughs> no, no, it just reinforces the importance of us needing more images of ourselves out there. One of the things that I discovered when I was in Europe is that I used to hear Eurocentric and I knew it on a casual level, but being in Europe, I was like, oh my God, yeah, America's very Eurocentric. I remember somebody said, we don't have enough images of ourselves. You know, when you go to these museums, they're not just art. This is informing people how they should see themselves. Absolutely. We need to see these things of ourselves that are beautiful, that are amazing, that are life-changing, so that we 
can be more open about what's going on in our lives and as you do find ways to help others. If I can piggyback off of that, it is essential that we have narratives and we have imagery that enforces, reinforces our valuation. I don't think it has to be this constant quote unquote protest or constant quote unquote sort of activism. I think one of the quotes you said from a, a young lady who you love and you follow is invisibility is let me not get it wrong. It's Michaela Angela Davis. Invisibility is another kind of pain. So powerful. You know, just on the human level, if there aren't images and things that support or validate us, I think then there are naturally going to be deficits, naturally going to be insecurities, naturally going to be traumas, naturally going to be, you know, so many other things that happen as a byproduct of that invisibility. There's some kind of messaging that exists in the world that, again, enforces or says, this is the way things are, this is the way things aren't. From a young age, I have kind of moved away from the pointing blame or all the reasons as to why it doesn't exist. I, I kind of try to maybe shy away from, these are all the reasons why, and just sort of lend my voice and sort of add myself to that mix of wanting to provide something good to counteract the quote-unquote bad. So, yeah. As an actor, for you, I remember Leon Lopez, who was my first guest from England, he talked about this. I don't know if you've auditioned or played gay roles, but I know with him and how he presents, he said when he would attempt to do that, people would tell him, oh, you don't fit the prototype or you're not gay enough or whatever. I guess I wonder that for you as an actor, if you want to or if there's been opportunities to do that, has that been something that's been brought up to you? So I would say from my, my endeavor, my pursuit was not film television acting, but I actually had a chance to shoot a pilot last year, which was kind of weird, but it hasn't been something that has been brought to my attention because I haven't like gone out to audition for those things. And then typically kind of in the commercial world, you know, print modeling and then commercials themselves, no one's said that, but I think there have been auditions where I've had a call back or, you know, hey, just a heads up, this will be implied that this is a gay couple, are you okay with that? And again, you know, I'm not sharing, oh, you know, hey, I have a partner or, I'm, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm good with that. So uh, okay. I haven't had his experience in terms of that. But I think that, you know, hey, just a heads up, it is implied. Make sure that you're okay with that. As a model, is it possible to be out as a male model? I just want to clarify. So like the print model. So it's, you know, hey, <laughs> the, you know, the guy, the safe guy, the, <laughs> the all-American guy. So not like runway uh, modeling, but. Okay. I mean, I am open. I'm, I'm out. I mean, thankfully, I haven't had any issue with it. I'm just like, you know, hey, if, you know, if it rolls for me, I guess it's for me. If not, so unbeknownst to me, I haven't heard of anything or found that, oh, this is problematic at all. That's just something I kind of wondered casually off and on throughout the years. <laughs> you came onto my radar through uh, your podcast and your YouTube channel, Our Voices, Our Journey, when I was doing my own research to look for individuals who are in the space that I, I'm attempting to inhabit to find out what's out there and also to support too. How did Our Voices, Our Journey come about? So, you know, about five years ago, I thought about wanting to do a podcast. I think, you know, just seeing in the landscape of media, what's kind of going on. And I know there were podcasts that were kind of popping up. And I thought, wow, I understand, I believe, how productions and things happen. So it's very collaborative in that way. And so often, you know, times having some friends who, you know, were, you know, working in it, you know, oftentimes 
from script to screen, it is not the same thing. And so I thought, you know, in the midst of having pursuits of television and film, writing and kind of creation, that because things will, you know, kind of naturally be collaborative, you know, if there's a part of my journey where my voice, you know, may be muted, in what ways will I be able to kind of carve out ways to tell a story? And I thought, you know, documentaries, obviously, but I also thought, in what other ways? And so I think just through life and things that the podcast was an idea. And so I'd interviewed a good friend of mine, shout out to Tyra Carter, who's transgender, just an amazing person and an advocate and activist for transgender rights. And so I interviewed her. It was an amazing interview. I think at some point I'm going to release it just kind of as like a, you know, maybe throwback or something to beginnings. And then I think maybe the trepidation started to kind of like, well, I don't have this and I don't have this. and I didn't have this. I didn't have the microphone. I didn't have all these things. Oh, I shouldn't do it. And so I think it just kind of went away. And then during the pandemic, I had a conversation with one of my best female friends and she just kind of said, you know, we only have one life, live it. And I thought, you know, something, this is part of what I want to do to give back to community and more importantly, highlight people who are doing amazing things around the world. One of my guests, I read about him in the New York Times, and I read about this article about this guy who was doing amazing work in Belize with human rights and, and gay rights. I remember just feeling like, what can I do to help this person in this state who is facing all of this negativity in some instances, violence, based on what's right. It was a story about these two young men. It was in Atlanta. The father came home to uh, the young man, not boys, and threw like hot water on one of them or something. But I donated like $100 to their GoFundMe. And I thought about these young people who had committed suicide, young children, grade school who committed suicide because of taunting of their sexuality. So these moments, those things kind of stood out to me. And probably the last thing was there was a lesbian Black lesbian rabbi. And I just thought, well, I'll be damned. Like, I didn't know that existed, you know? <laughs> and also, obviously, yourself included, who are doing work in community that is so necessary, who are sharing stories, who are adding goodness to, for lack of a better word, all the shit that's going on right now in our world. And that does happen. So I think just seeing those things, I thought, man, I really wanted it to be a platform that just, you know, was able to augment those of us who are making contributions, real people who are just following their passion, following their hearts and like doing things for community. It's all of us. It's a collective effort where the narratives that are associated with being black, you know, are often, you know, ridiculed under the guise of, oh, that's ghetto, that's ghetto. But then you have this character on a show or this person who starts to say it, or you see it in a commercial and then now it's socially acceptable. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so true. Right? <laughs> Congratulations on giving yourself permission to create this platform and listening to those around you, your friend, who was a great encouragement. And just in what you talked about too, that we have it. We know we have it because other groups take it and they profit from it. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> My God. I don't know what the formula is and it's not unique to this time period. It's been going on forever. Absolutely. You just sparked one more thing, and I'll forward you the article. I just found it. person wrote about Dave Chappelle and his last Netflix thing, and I actually watched it because I was like, I'm curious now. But what I got out of the article is, where are we in the conversation, the Black LGBT community, those who are not Black but part of the LGBT community? don't talk about us or don't include us in conversations. And then the Black community, heterosexuals don't. 
And this article just touches on it and uses uh, Dave Chappelle's special as a through line. Um, I was gonna ask you, what's one of the joys of being an entrepreneur and content creator? You know, I think one of the things that I thought about is oftentimes not only feeling othered, but I think also feeling muted from being able to live. And I think one of the things we said yesterday or earlier in this conversation, it was about wanting to, you know, shine or that light kind of shine on us. Or when light shines on us, sometimes it can be met with negativity and it can be met with vitriol, those kinds of things. And I think that for myself, at times, like if I were kind of excelling or being recognized for things and somebody were to say like, oh, that's gay, that's gay, was like kryptonite. Mm. That name, it was kind of demeaning. It was less than, it was, it was a bad thing, right? I think so maybe hearing that as I got older, I probably rejected that label because it was never a positive as an adult and having the autonomy in the space to say, wait a second, well, no, I'm not going to allow my voice to be muted. I'm not going to slink off. Like, no, I'm going to stand in who I am and advocate for other people. And so I want to be able to create that space. And so I feel like it's healing. It is healing because I have had the good fortune, and I'm sure like yourself, you've had some amazing guests. Like I told you, Victor and Leon and really amazing guests. And even your story too, you know, and being educated with people's experiences. And I find myself in talking to people who I haven't met before, didn't know, it just feels so unifying. And I feel like, wow, I'm not in this alone. So it really feels healing in a lot of ways to talk to people and discover people who are doing amazing work. Like I said, we talked yesterday for almost an hour. <laughs> it was really powerful. And like I said, again, healing is one of the best words. To see people like ourselves, people you know, doing work in this community, it just gives me hope. I like that. It's heavy, it's deep. Yeah. Well, my final question is asking you one way you're able to remain positive focused and centered as a black gay man? The ways I stay focused, centered, black gay man. I think there are a few things. I can't exclude my inner circle. I have people who I will go to war for, you know, close knit people who've been with me for decades and such. My family, you know, my partner, my amazing boyfriend, people who definitely help keep me grounded, who I can call and bounce ideas and things off of. And I think also, you know, things that I have adopted and I haven't been consistent with. And my boyfriend was like, oh, we should start meditating together. And I'm like, oh, yeah, meditating together. That's how many minutes out of the day, babe. And I, don't, I, got, <laughs> I got stuff to do and meditate with you. But when I tell you how incredible it was, it was incredibly helpful because I can talk very fast. And so I think that helps to center me and just kind of keep me calm. The times when I do carve the space out to do it, it's amazing. And I'm like, why don't I do more of it? Swimming has helped me being back in the, in the pool, just kind of swimming and getting the exercise in and just being able to have some time with, I'm away from my phone and text and having to post and all the other things. And then the beach. I love sunshine. I love warm weather. Every time I go to the beach, it feels like the best buzz. It's like my zen. All good stuff. <laughs> uh, I always think, oh, I should write this down. I was like, or oh, I could listen to the recording <laughs> later. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, I thank you so much. I really do. I really, really enjoy this. And I knew I would when we connected initially yesterday. I'm so much looking forward to sharing your story, your intellect, your experiences with this community. And I'm definitely going to be sharing our voices, our journey, Drankenstein Productions. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Y'all can find me on Twitter. It's at 
journey or is it our journey or journey? <laughs> I, mean, I have to give it to you to make sure, but I think it's journey hour. It's J-O-U-R-N-E-E-O-U-R on Twitter. And Instagram, I think is our journey. This has been an amazing experience, uh, inaugural interview. We'll definitely continue to celebrate and support our black gay diaspora. We got to. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time. <laughs>